Also, when you become a parent, you've got this new mission is to make this world a better place for your children. And you're, you, you spend your time trying to figure out what they're going to eat and what school they're going to go to and what their hair going to be. And so we're always making these decisions for our children. And so we can make those ones, but the bigger ones are almost out of our hands. The bigger decisions that the government make or that society media make is really like it's out of your hands unless you try to do something about it. And yeah. we are very much about, you know, being the change that we want to see. And we, our backgrounds have always been about inclusion and, and seeing ourselves. You, you can't be what you can't see. Mm. And that's what it comes down to. So even, you know, I went to um, the Brit School of Performing Arts. I trained as an actress. And all throughout my training, I just thought, well, what roles are there for me? Mm. What, mm. what role am I going to, am I going to do? Am I just always going to play the slave? Am I always going to play... The, the gang girl, like, mm. what if I want to play a lawyer or a doctor? Yeah. Hello, and a warm welcome to season five of Brown Don't Frown podcast. Our first ever episode went live back in October 2019, and since then, we have brought five seasons totaling almost 50 guests and their stories straight to your ears. I hope you've been able to learn from them as much as I have. I am your host, Tanya Hardcastle. Brown Don't Frown spotlights the experiences of a diverse range of women and brings new perspectives. So I hope that you finish each episode feeling more rounded, energised and inspired. Heartened by my own personal journey with pregnancy and motherhood, season five will be a special series comprising four episodes covering the joys and challenges of motherhood and maternity and empowering change in childcare, mental health and the workforce. The BDF community has grown so much over the past three years. Thank you to all of you who've subscribed to the podcast and left us a review. As an independent podcaster, that means a lot to me. If you want to stay updated on the latest news, podcast episodes and exclusives, you can sign up to the newsletter by clicking the link in the episode notes. That's all from me for now. Enjoy season five. Today's guests are Alison Burton and Natalie Duvall who are founders of March Muses, which produces luxury gifts, wrapping paper, and cards representing people of colour, and received backing from Dragon's Den's Peter Jones and Deborah Meaden. They're the only UK brand to have created a full range of black Christmas decorations, shining the light on the need for diverse and inclusive figurines and baubles at Christmas time. Alison and Natalie are single mums with full-time jobs and share their perspectives on balancing entrepreneurialism, single motherhood and creativity. So without further ado, uh, I'd like to extend a warm welcome to you both. Welcome, Alison and Natalie. Hi. Thank you for having us. <laughs> Thank you for being here. How are you, how are you both doing? Oh, um, busy. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, very, very busy. If we're about to hit our busy point. We're in the Q4 now. So September to October is very, very busy. And then November, December just gets crazy. Can't even think in that time. I bet in the run up to Christmas, especially because of, you know, what, what your business represents, having to fork out all the Christmas decorations, planning ahead. 
Um, so tell us a bit more then about your idea for March Muses. How, how did it come about? Um, well, it started in 2018 when I was hanging Christmas decorations up with my daughter and she was, I think, around seven or eight at the time. And she kind of said, oh, mum, can angels have brown skin? And I was like, well, of course they can have brown skin. That's a, such a silly question. As I was hanging up white angels and white <laughs> Santa and white elf on the shelf and all these white images, I thought, oh, yeah, I actually don't have any black angels on my tree. But I said, you know what? Don't worry about it. We'll just I'm just going to go onto Amazon or eBay and just buy some. And literally went onto there and could not find a thing. Couldn't find anything on Amazon, eBay, Etsy. There was nothing of color, not even not even like tanned or anything like that. I think I did I manage to find one eventually and it was in America. And just to get it over here it was costing 25 pounds. And I just thought this is just ridiculous. Like why doesn't John Lewis or, or someone have an angel mm -hmm. that's not white? Like I, I couldn't believe it had been kind of overlooked. Mm, a very legitimate question, isn't it? Something I anticipate, yeah, my children in the future asking me as well. Because well, you know. yeah, hopefully they won't because we're, we're, filling, <laughs> we're, we're filling that we're filling that void. Yes. Hopefully, this is this is the whole point. We don't want that question to be asked mm. ever again. We don't. We want you know. Of course, there are brown angels. There are black angels. There are there are pink angels. There are blue angels. I mean, we're talking about <laughs> angels here. Unless you've actually seen an actual angel, then come on, let's really call it what it is and it's a mythical fairy angel kind of character that can be depicted in whatever way you want but for some yeah. reason all these years it's only been seen through a white lens yep yep absolutely and what was it like for you both pitching to, to Dragon's Den with your idea oh I mean it was really really quite nerve-wracking um you know from doing the initial application to actually being selected to do a pitch because you have to go through a level of due diligence in the application process. Um, you prepare your own audition tape, but then to finally be selected and go into the den, um, it, it was really quite an, a daunting experience. Um, the environment itself, I mean, you know you're gonna be on TV, you, you don't wanna make a fool of yourself and get your numbers wrong like you see some people do on, on the show. So it was a lot of preparation and hard work. Um, and the pitch you see on the TV was only around 14 minutes or so, almost 15 minutes. But we were actually pitching for about just shy of two hours. Oh, so standing wow. There, standing there being totally grilled about our business, um, being asked all those questions by five dragons, um, standing in high heels as well. And you're not allowed to have any type of paperwork with you or records, not even a little post-it note. So you have to be really, really well prepared when mm. you go in there. Mm. And so obviously sharing our story, um, the success we'd had in the two years of trading that we had entered, um, just, you know, really relaying the need for diversity and representation at Christmas time. Um, it was a great opportunity for us to showcase our business, uh, see, you know, how well it's done in the short space of time, mm. limited marketing, um, and we did it on our own whilst working in our full-time jobs and taking care of children. So, um, you know, it was a great opportunity, great experience, but very, very nerve wracking. Wow. So many things compounding the amount of work that you must have had to put in, as well as your personal circumstances, having full-time jobs and with, with children as well. It must have been a lot of preparation and hard work and clearly it paid off. But I didn't realize yeah. you, you, you pitched for two, two whole hours. I guess they only show you the sort of highlights, don't they? 
Yeah, I mean, it's very well edited um, and we're glad for the way that they edited it. They were actually quite gracious because we did make a couple of boo-boos. Yeah, yeah, that's But yeah, yeah, um, I think that the nature of what we were presenting, the need for the diversity, um, and they really, they really got it. I mean, Mm -hmm. as you saw it on the show, we had like three dragons go out one after the other. Yeah. um, And we really had to fight for it, um, you know, just to make sure we came away with some kind of um, investment. Yeah, um, as well as obviously the backings of dragons and their time. Mm. It was yeah. great. Did you have any breaks, or was it for the entire no. two hours? So oh, I, wow. there was no like cut. There was no take two. Oh. There was no quick makeup touch up. None of that. Nothing. And it was very hot. We actually filmed it a year ago. So we, well, a year and a half ago now. It was in June, June seventeenth. I actually remember that day because my little nephew was actually born on that day. And we um, got a train to, was it Birmingham or Manchester, Manchester. somewhere? Manchester. And we're obviously London-based. So it was like, we went there the night before, we stayed up there. And we got there and we were really, really excited. And there are other companies who are obviously pitching on that day. And, you know, we were just, we were the one of the second to last pitch to actually go in. So we got there at 12, but we actually didn't go into the, the den until like 6 or 6.30. So we've been there all day oh. kind of practicing oh. and prepping. And, and also like, not only that, everyone who saw anyone who sees our decorations are like, they're blown away. And yeah. they're just like, oh my goodness, this is amazing. So literally from the staff to the runners, to the producers, to the, the, the cleaning lady, to the delivery man, like anyone who saw it, they're like, oh my goodness, this is amazing. You're going to get so much funding. Oh my goodness. And so we kind of walked in to the den, like, okay, we've got this. And then to receive three no's all at the same time, I was like, oh no, we don't have this. <laughs> like, <laughs> this, this, this was a really scary moment. And I thought, oh my gosh, we're on live TV. Well, not live, but we're on TV. Yeah. We're, we're, we've given every bit of information about our company and now we're not even going to get it. I was just like, oh, this can't, <gasps> this can't be it. And so you see us kind of like fighting for our lives in like the last 10 minutes because we were literally like pulling things and having to be like, you know we've done this we've done this there's a market for it we just need you to believe in it um and eventually you know Deborah we kind of knew was always on our side she was you know she was always backing us from the start Peter was very quiet didn't really ask us any questions and then it was like in the last minute he was like yeah you know I'm gonna make an offer and I was like how did I know you're gonna make us an offer you haven't said anything (laughs) but he was just listening and he said I've been listening and my body is tingling and that's all I need to know (laughs) so I was like oh thank god oh gosh maybe he was playing devil's advocate and seeing being very poker faced as well and obviously not giving it away to the dragons so they don't know that he's actually competing as well yeah yeah. very very strategic in his approach very very he is like that isn't he yeah I have noticed Well, I think one thing that certainly came out of the the pitch that you prepared for the dragons um, was the importance of valuing diversity. And it's very, very important that we raise our children to, to value diversity, to feel visible, to see all humans as equal. So I wanted to ask you, you know, as parents of black daughters, why is representation so important to you? Oh, it's, it's not important. It's, it's everything. Yeah, definitely. I mean, you know, you, you, it's crazy to think that in 2022, we're still having the same struggles that our parents had in the fifties and sixties. And it's just like, there's been no real, real tangible evolution. Um, Mm. And that really is demonstrated just in the way that we see things in the media. You know, it, it took for black lives matter to finally have, you know, uh, actors and actresses on screen doing adverts mm. for some of the bigger brands and you know things like that so we have been completely overlooked 
um, not just in the media and in film and TV, but also in boardrooms as well. Mm. So, you know, to create these decorations um, is just one step of tackling the need for representation. Mm. Yeah, absolutely. I think Black Lives Matter definitely brought it to the fore. But I think after that, there was, you know, there's a big buzz around it for about a year or so. And then I feel like it's di died down again. Without a doubt. Without <laughs> a doubt. This is, we've been saying this literally this whole year, like, you know, when um, 2019, when 2020 happened, um, we went, our business went from, you know, we had a 12,000 pound turnover in 2019 to like a nearly 80,000 pound turnover in 2020, literally just because of Black Lives Matter. Mm -hmm. um, and it was absolutely amazing. And as we've gone through this whole year, we started to realize that Black Lives Matter a little bit less this year. Mm -hmm. You know, there's, there's other focuses and all those, all those, um, task force and all those things that companies have put in place where where are they now those companies that did the black square and they were going yeah. strong for about a year where are you now like you're starting to see it dwindle and this is what we talk about when we say black is not a trend my mm. skin tone is it's not, not a about no. a trend it's not about being trendy it is every day for me yeah. you know I can't go home and take it off I can't hide it. You see, you see me and you see what you see is what you get. And I think, yeah. and you're you not know, a token either, are you? So that I'm not a token, but you know, it takes work mm. and it takes, you know, you've got to be consistent and it's, it's tiring as, as a, as a white person, as an ally, it, it must be tiring to continuously have to, you know, be an ally and continuously have to be diverse. You just want it, if, especially if it doesn't come naturally to you and it, it's absolutely worked for these big corporates, but if they haven't got a diversity champion in their companies who's driving it forward, then of course it will get kind of left in the wayside and then we'll get to 2023 and we're going to be right back to where we started mm, yeah. in 2017. And I think as well, because, because there's a lack of a diversity champion <clears throat> in these organisations, this is exactly the reason why you don't have our type of products in any of the big retailers, because mm. there's no one around that table or in that decision-making capacity that is driving this forward. Mm. Um, you know, when we were doing our search for decorations, as Nat said, she found one in, in America and the cost of the shipping. I actually found one in a local shop to, to us, a gift shop, and it was actually a white figurine that was painted black. Oh, wow. So, yeah. you know, yeah. people are being very, uh, I guess, performative in the space it is performative. Um, and not being very intentional. I, I think there's a lot of lip service paid to yeah. a, lot of this, a lot of this, you know, people in their organisations in their sort of strategies and policy papers saying, oh, we get, we, we've committed to doing this, but then in actual reality, they're not actually doing anything. It's just there on paper as a yeah. written statement, but it's all about actioning it. I think, and Natalie, you mentioned um, that, you know, your sales went up during Black Lives Matter, like during that period. Um, and I wonder whether you've got any data to to show what sort of um, buyers you had. So I'm not just talking about, you know, p black people buying your products, but I'm just talking about other races who might yeah. have friends or family who they want, want to buy Christmas decorations for. Like, did, do you reckon that made a difference at that Abs time as well? Absolutely. So we know that a majority of our our customer base were actually not black. They were actually white. Oh. Um, and we know we know this because A, they would email us and tell us <laughs> that they, they bought the product and they support us, which was amazing. When you looked at the, the areas that 
were um, where these were being bought you know they're being bought in Wales in Scotland in areas that aren't mm. necessarily known for like a huge black demographic right um, and so we could kind of base it on that and also it wasn't just black people it was brown as well so mm. anyone who was of color um, because our decorations come in two skin tones so it's not just um, one skin tone because we know that black isn't one skin tone no. I've got two daughters yeah. and one is lighter than the other same mum and dad but for some reason one came out lighter the other one came out darker and that's just what most families especially in the black community represent we mm. we come out in different skin tones yeah there are different and shades. so we wanted yeah yeah different yeah. shades so we wanted to make sure that we um we re- re- represented that and reflected that in our products so that the light brown angel really does reflect not just the the mixed race heritage community but also um asian yeah. and hispanic like anyone who had a hint of brown in them they really were going towards that lighter brown anyone with a bit of melanin <laughs> anyone with a bit of melanin were just like oh yeah that's that's for me and so we we know that it wasn't just the black community actually and we actually did quite a few pop-ups we um, did a pop-up in um you know um selfridges and ideal home show and coco girl fest and we actually got to meet people and so we actually saw firsthand who was actually buying our products mm. That's really good. Well, it sounds like you had a very, very positive response uh, from beyond, you know, not just the black community, but other communities as well, which is really, really positive. And it just certainly highlight the void in the market and then the gap that you filled. And I think as well, the other key thing as well is that we have a lot. I mean, I'd say that we've got a very, very high percentage of repeat customers as well. Mm. So these these non-black customers, they're not just trying to tick a box themselves they actually do get behind the need for diversity yeah um and whether it is that they have they're part of a mixed family or they buy them as gifts for other people yeah yep. they just want that representation on their own tree and as part of their christmas decor absolutely you know yep. we're here for all customers we do not discriminate one bit <laughs> good. good and i mean what are your future hopes and aspirations for march muses i mean where do you see yourselves in the next five years would you say I mean, we, we are continually going through a period of growth. So when we first launched in 2019, we had like six products. Following year, we had 20. Then we got close to 30. Now, I think we've actually got around over 50 products on our site now. So we're always expanding our range. Um, we've yeah. also expanded beyond Christmas. So we've... We yeah, I was going to ask about that. Yeah, so you have... Yeah. It's not just Christmas products, there's other stuff as well. No, so this year we launched products for um, Father's Day, Mother's Day, Valentine's. You know, we also have wedding cake toppers. We have very much other kind of gifting items. So we have like bedding and we have a a jewellery box that we're launching on the site soon. So, yeah, we are definitely looking at being all year round. We also Mm -hmm. have gift wrap um, as well as um, greeting cards. So, yeah, you know, we are definitely always looking at ways um, for continued growth. But outside of product growth um, as a business, um, you know, we are speaking with major retailers about working on wholesale opportunities as well. We want to enter into new markets such as the, you know, the African continent and also the US. We already ship globally anyway, but we really want to extend our reach a little bit more. Mm. So always looking at opportunities for growth and also that growth leading to us, you know, maybe resigning from our full time jobs. Oh, goodness. Wow. It sounds like, oh, gosh, that sounds amazing. It sounds you've got like you've got some amazing aspirations um, in, in the coming years for March Muses and very excited to see where the journey takes you. I'm sure that you'll be, you know, plastered all over all over <laughs> news outlets soon. Um, yeah, looking forward to it and looking forward to buying some Christmas decorations from oh, you. Thank you. <laughs> 
I mean, I, I definitely yeah. find you both really remarkable. You seem to be really well organized, ambitious, you know, well spirited. Uh, but I can't imagine that it was, it's always been like that for you. You know, I'd really be interested to know what has been the most challenging aspect of being a single mother. And, and it would be good to know what it's like, um, you know, a typical day. <laughs> oh, God. How long have you got? Well, yeah, exactly. <laughs> it's, it's quite it's difficult to kind of say. But I think one thing about Alison and I is that we're the eldest in our families. Oh, yeah. So when it comes to that, we are naturally natural born leaders because when you've got, you know, we've both got two siblings underneath us um, and a boy and a girl. Um, and so, you know, we've naturally taken on that role anyway in our family where we're the, the older sister that has to kind of look after everyone. Mm. So I think because that's already naturally in us, we're natural born to kind of lead from the front. And then with the business, it hasn't been easy. But I think when you um, lead with passion and when you lead with purpose, it really does help. If we were just selling, you know, I don't know, like some feathers or something like, you know, that had nothing really to do with us. And we're just kind of selling it like there has to be reason. And I think that's what helps drive your force. That's what helps you when you're doing those late nights. And, um, well, you know, and obviously we have children. I think also when you become a, a parent, you've got this new mission is to make this world a better place for your children. And you're, you, you spend your time trying to figure out what they're going to eat and what school they're going to go to and what their hair going to be. And so we're always making these decisions for our children. And so we can make those ones, but the bigger ones are almost out of our hands. The bigger decisions that the government make or that society media make is really like, it's out of your hands unless you try to do something about it. And yeah. we are very much about, you know, being the change that we want to see. And we, our backgrounds have always been about inclusion and, and seeing ourselves. You, you can't be what you can't see. Mm. And that's what it comes down to. So even, you know, I went to um, the Brit School of Performing Arts. I trained as an actress. And all throughout my training, I just thought, well, what roles are there for me? Mm. What, mm. what role am I going to? am I going to do? Am I just always going to play the slave? Am I always going to play the, the gang girl? Like mm. what if I want to play a lawyer or a doctor yeah, yeah. Or, or, or just, just someone who's just the girl next door. Like, yeah. you know, who's just, you know, just what, what Sarah would get. Why can't I get, you know, the roles that she would get. Mm. And so you have to, so you start to, you start to look at that and it's, you know, it's always pitted against us. And unfortunately, even now it's still pitted against us. And, you know, you only have to look at things like a really good example is something like Bend It Like Beckham, yeah. where you had Kieran Knightley and she, that was her first role. And she, she just went, you know, plateaued. She just got into this, like, she got into Hollywood and was just like here, there and everywhere. Whereas the other actors, the Asian actors, yeah. But, you know, it was very, it was hard for her. Even Viola Davis recently talked about the film that she did. Viola Davis, who you think, well, you're Hollywood, you're huge. Mm. And she's talking about how hard it was. I'm like, why is it hard for you? It's not hard for Cameron Diaz. It's not hard for Julia Roberts. Why is it hard for you and you're Hollywood? Yeah. And so we spend a lot of the time, Alison and I, like trying to jump hoops. And still, you know, Dragon's Den was an amazing platform, but that's not the end of the story. Like, no, we're still not. jumping through hoops. Yes. We're still trying to knock on doors. We're still, you know, th having Dragon's Den behind us helps, but it's it's not everything. And it, we're still seen as, you know, two black women and this black business, which mm. this is why we called it March Muses, because we could have easily have gone down the, oh, we're going to call it Black Gift Shop or yeah, Noir yeah, yeah. something. Yeah. But we wanted to be intentional about 
yes, we are a black business, but that's not all we are. We that's are just you are. No, no we're, we're a business. You know, John Lewis doesn't call themselves a white owned business. They are just <laughs> they're John Lewis. And their name has nothing to do with selling curtains and candles and whatever else they sell. Mm-hmm. So, do you know, so we were very intentional with with the name and making it as universal. And to also, we could put anything underneath that umbrella. If we wanted to start a consultancy firm, we could. If we wanted to start a magazine, yeah, we could. Yeah. We wanted I think to start whatever. It could. is a really good name. It sparks a lot of intrigue as well. And it's, it's quite neutral. So I think, and it's, and it's you know, it's alliteration. So people are going to remember it, right? So. Yeah. So it's the MM and March is because Alison and I are both born in March. Yeah. So we're both March born babies. And Muse is obviously to be inspired by. Yes. Yes, absolutely. Well, it sounds like you've had a, a really, um, I guess, complex journey into this, not just the business itself, but your own sort of personal journeys with your careers and navigating your lives as well. And that's fed into, you know, the, the sort of inspiration and motivations that you've had to develop this business. Um, and it, it'd be good to know as well what being a black single mother has taught you about yourself and, and what you're most proud of yourself for as well. I mean, I think that um, being a single mother is a quest in itself, whether you're black, white or any other culture. Um, But it is particularly hard um, because you have to be thinking about everything and your decision making all the time. Um, So like Nat said, whether it's about clothing, food, dinner, getting them to a dance class or a theatre class, even going to the Dragon's Den, the amount of preparation that we had to do ahead of that, mm. making sure that our children had all the clothes that they needed because we were staying over the night before. The next day after pitching, we'd need someone to pick the kids up again. You know, so you can't physically do anything without putting the thought of your children first mm. because you are the main caregiver, you're the provider, you're the nurturer, you're the chef, you're the hairdresser, you know, you're everything. Absolutely. You're, you're the chauffeur, everything, yeah. You do it all. Um, yeah. And But the thing of it is for me, Having I had a, my, my daughter quite late in life, so I'd, I'd lived a quite a, an interesting life and traveled and everything like that. Um, and so it definitely was for me, it's a humbling experience because from my experience from, from being pregnant, the baby takes over your whole body. It dictates when you can eat, how much you're going to sleep, if that sleep's going to be comfortable or not. If you choose to drink a glass of water beyond eight o'clock, you're going to be peeing all night. <laughs> so it's just little things like that that let you know, actually, the baby is in charge. Yes. And then fast forward to delivery. Again, your, oh, your main focus and task is to keep this baby alive. <laughs> and so that is the bottom know, line yeah and I can I can relate to everything you said there Alison because I'm, I'm currently in my third trimester with my first oh, first baby thank you I was telling Natalie earlier and this is literally this is the reason why I'm doing the special season on sort of motherhood and what it represents um yeah. because it is really good to know you know early on what it's like before I sort yeah. of delve into it. I mean it's too late now I'm already I'm, I'm going through with it and everything. So, <laughs> you're there. Like, there's, no, there. there's no turning back no there's no, no turning, turning back, back. Complete but, life-changing experience. Absolutely. Adding- and enjoy every moment of it. I mean, enjoy this moment that you do get to sleep because that will soon be whipped, whipped I away I know. I need to make the most of it, honestly. <laughs> but, yeah, but then focusing on your question about being a black single mum, with that comes a whole different fight. Um, and whether it is that you're seeking justice in school, whether you feel that the curriculum is being correctly delivered to, to make your child feel included, um, when your fr- your children are forming friendships gr- friendship groups and what that can look like, you know, all of that. And we are open and we're welcoming of all races. But unfortunately, there are some people who aren't very kind to children. So as a parent, 
you're you always have to be in alert protective mode. Yeah. Yeah, 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 you have to be yeah. alert and you're always in protective mode. Um, but, you know, I'm not here going to ever say that single parenting is easy. It isn't easy. You just have to be well organized. You need a support system around you as well. Get that village going. Um, yes. Natalie and I actually, our parents were friends from they were teenagers. So that's how I know Natalie. Oh. I'm older than her. So I've known her from she was born, basically. Um, but we both um, got back in touch with each other because we were pregnant at the same time. Oh. So I have one daughter who is two weeks, no, one week older than Natalie's oldest daughter. So oh. during pregnancy, we got back together. We started to do mummy and baby groups when, the, when they were babies. And out of that came business ideas. So we've actually been business partners for close to 10 years um, because we've had other businesses and projects that we've done. And so the other thing about parenting is that you, you really find the need that you have to find something that's flexible or mm. you need to have a second hustle because sometimes that maternity pay isn't enough or your general pay isn't enough or you may have to reduce down to part-time working, but you need that flexibility of what you can do at home and for yourself. Mm. So I hope that gives an answer. Um, Natalie probably has a completely different experience to share, but for me, single parenting is very humbling. It's hard work, but so, so rewarding. Oh. Yeah, I mean, I was going to say that although we are single, like we have a village. And so you almost, you know, you're never alone. Like what Alison says, if you build that village up, then it doesn't even feel like you're single and you have mm-hmm. people to come to. Obviously, you're the prime leader and like you're the one who kind of looks after. I mean, I've, I co-parent. So, you know, their dad's very much in their lives and does a lot of stuff with us. And so um, but it is it's 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 a statistic that is very known in the black community Mm. and it's very evident in the black community. And so, you know, Christmas is a time, especially where families come Come together. together. Yeah. And so this is, I mean, I've always loved Christmas. And as Alison kind of said, we've been in business for a very long time and our actual first, well, our first dipping our toes into Christmas was that we um, used to have a company where we would do elf experiences and these elves would come and knock on your door and they'll do like almost a performance in your front room and let you know who's on the naughty and nice list and it was like a a home elf visit we called it and we did that for about three years before covid kind of just knocked it out and it was absolutely amazing and that's because we just we absolutely love christmas and because family is just the center of everything but it's not easy we have full-time jobs this is this what started off as a side hustle is easily like you know, it could be a thought yeah, yeah it is taking over but it's not paying us enough just yeah. yet and I think that's a really important honest conversation to have mm. people always think oh they've got Dracula's Den money or they've done this or they've done that they must be making minions it doesn't work no, like that no, and business business doesn't work like that it doesn't, so it it doesn't work overnight years. like that either yeah. It takes years and years to build something yeah. off the ground. And most companies which end up being super successful start out with the first few years, you know, negative and negative. Equity. First five years, first yeah. five years is like, they don't even want you to take money out because everything yeah. that you get put in needs to go and go, gets put in again. Like you're not supposed to be paying yourself. And so we, I mean, this is the one of the things that we said on Dragon's Den. We like, we were very intentional. We like, this is, we love this baby, but we, we can't, we have full-time jobs mm. and Deborah didn't even blink she's like yeah your mum's of course you do she didn't even blink no. she was like and and we had seen it a few times on Dragon's Den when they kind of questioned the entrepreneurs and they're like well why aren't you working this full-time and they knew not to even ask us that question yeah. <laughs> because you know we're not we're mu- we're, we're mumpreneurs if you want to call us that, and so when, yeah, like that. yeah we're not your average entrepreneurs <laughs> we have 
we have little mouths to feed. We can't just live on a hope and a dime and hope like we just can't do that. Unlike some entrepreneurs who do live, still live at home or they, they have got maybe a financial backers. So if that wasn't our journey. Mm-hmm. And so we had to be very honest from the start of like what this is going to look like. Yeah, but clearly it's it's been no bad thing at all because it sparked your creativity being a mum. You know, if it wasn't for your daughter asking you that question all those years ago, would you have, you know, ventured into this business? So Oh, absolutely. So. And I think that's what I said, like being a parent, you do you get lots of ideas. And like what Anderson says, you need to think about what else can I be doing? And you know, the cost of living is going up and people <laughs> are broke. And so everyone's trying to think what what other things can I be doing? And yeah, with social yeah. media as such a huge thing it is. Online businesses is fantastic, but you have to figure out, okay, what are you selling and what do you want to sell and what are you passionate about selling? And what and differentiates think, you from the other brands doing what you're doing? What sets well. you apart, yeah, from others. Yeah. It's really important now, isn't it? I mean, both of you are, you know, great inspirations and I'm sure the listeners are, you know, feeling very inspired and intrigued by your by your lives and, and what you've managed to achieve in, in quite a short period of time, really. So very much looking forward to where it takes you next. Oh, One, thank you. <laughs> you're welcome. So this podcast advocates for intersectional feminism. Now, Brown Don't Frown was born out of a very personal journey with womanhood. Um, as a British Bangladeshi navigating mainstream feminism, whatever that that is really, often felt quite exclusionary to me because it didn't seem to value the experiences or views which shaped, you know, people in my family. So all the women in my family, grandmothers, aunts, mothers, friends' lives. So through this podcast, you know, I've sought to really build a more inclusive discourse which breaks down um, presumptions about different cultures and shines a positive light on the stories of underrepresented women. As mothers of black daughters, is intersectionality something you identify with and instill in your daughters? Um, and also, what does feminism mean to you and what values are most important to you for your daughters? Yeah, absolutely. I feel like, um, it, like Alison said, raising black daughters is very different. Yes. And you have to, you have to, oh, black and brown, to be honest with you, um, but you have to... Um, give them a sense of identity earlier on because their identity will be snatched away from them if they don't know who they are. And they'll be snatched away from them by a teacher or by a policeman or by someone at work who will just try and talk down. Minimise their experience, yeah. Oh, without and even as and I, you know, we've experienced that in business where especially white men like to talk down to us. Mm. They love to, to tell us what they think about our business and even when we're telling them no this is how it should go they're then telling us no this is how and I'm like no 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 I know what I'm talking about and I know you don't respect me and I know you don't see me as a threat or anything I'm not a man so you know you're I'm the lowest you know lowest that you can ever think but so really being individual and knowing who you are and knowing where you come from is is vital especially in a country that you know can sometimes really try and tear you down um, and like one thing, especially with my eldest, she's very, um, we call her Sophia the truth because she's very by the book and she's like, she's very, you know, matter of fact. And she's very, um, she's, she tries to be unbiased. And I think in her school report, um, the, the um, teacher said, what I really love about Sophia is that she always stands for what's right. <laughs> and I was like, yep, 
that's my daughter <laughs> she always stands for that's my girl right. yeah that's yeah. my girl so she's in the playground and she's like that's not right this and I thought but that and that's me without even knowing it I became that especially during Black Lives Matter I work in a very white corporate world and I became the voice of black people in that corporate space because I was like I was someone had to do, to do it yeah someone had to do it yeah. I didn't really want to do it but I know I had to do it but <laughs> because I knew who I was because I was secure and all identity. the work that my mum had done yeah. I felt very proud and very strongly driven to try and make some sort of change in the, the environment that I was working in and, and so I feel like if you know where you're coming from then you you know where you're going yes exactly so being very very strong and willful in your identity and who you are as a person I think especially as a woman yeah. I think really especially yeah but woman of color get, well and not to get that confused with being a strong black woman because again that that's a narrative there are connotations that with get, that again yeah. yeah yeah black women get that all the time oh you're a strong black woman yes I'm strong but I'm also a weak black woman I'm a soft black woman I'm, <laughs> I'm a funny black woman I'm a I'm a cute black woman I'm all these things so yeah. don't don't pigeonhole me into this this strong black woman Very narrative so, yeah yeah you know there's a there's such a there's such a pressure to be black excellence all the time mm. and sometimes I just want to be black mediocre yeah. I just want to be like just black normal. Other people can just be normal. White people can just be white. They can just be mediocre they, and they still they get can so just, far. They can just be. <laughs> <laughs> it's tiring. It's boring. It's, 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 it, and it's not fair. Like that's all it is. It's not fair. And so, you know, it'd be great to live in a world where that doesn't happen. But, you know, who knows when that will be. It, it definitely won't be in our lives. It, it might be in our children's, hopefully in our grandchildren's. And so we just have to hope that the work that we're putting in now, the same way our ancestors put in that work so that we could be sitting here having this conversation mm. is the same way that I hope that I'm doing the work for my future, future, future ki- grandkids, great, 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 generations to come. All those generations to come that they are not having these conversations that, you know, our products aren't novelty. They're just normal. Yeah. You know, footballers aren't being yeah. booed on, on the pitch because they're black. Like, you know, Meghan Markle isn't being hated just because she has a slightly lesser, um, as a brown skin. Like these conversations aren't, they're, they're going to be talking about other things. They're going to be talking about the birds and they're going to be talking about environmental climate issues, change. climate Carbon. change, but racism won't be one of it. And that's what I'm, that's what I strive for. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. What are you going to say something as well, Alison? No, no, no. Keep going. Yeah. <laughs> well, I think, you know, both very inspirational, as I said, and, you know, what you do and your actions speak louder than words. You know, everything that you say, you do with intention so that the repercussions are felt so that, you know, you can make a lasting impact. And as you said, you know, really, this is the tip of the iceberg. There's so much more we need to do to, to get to where we want to be. Um, but as you say, there are many generations ahead of us and, and hopefully we've, you know, paved the way in, in, in a good and positive way so that generations to come can you know look at the work that the progress that we've made and and be inspired to 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 do the same absolutely so let's end on a a more sort of I guess emotive and personal note um about motherhood so it'll be good to know what the best thing is for you about being a mum what the hardest thing is and also what's the one piece of advice you'd give to mothers <laughs> oh gosh. Um I guess I'll start with the hardest and then we'll work towards the best. <laughs> Save the best till last. Yeah, exactly. I think the the hardest thing is knowing am I doing this right? Mm. 
you know, we, you're literally, as a parent, you're winging it every single bloody day. It's you really, really are, because you don't know what you're going to be faced with, and you have to find a solution for it in that moment. And so that moment and your reaction, you could be tired, you could be hungry, you could be fed up, you could be stressed, but you have to find the answer. And you have to come down to their level with the way that you communicate, with the way that with your reactions, you know, kids can drive you nuts sometimes, mm, but mm. they are, they are learning. And the beautiful thing about children is that you're always learning from them, you know, and whether it is, it's their perception of something, how they react to something, the way that you can tell a child off and then they come back and hug you two minutes later, they're not holding on to that. Whereas no. as, as adults, I'm not talking to you, you know, <laughs> children, they're so innocent. They're so innocent. Yeah. And, and it's their innocence and their honesty, um, you know, it's, it's, oh, it's just so, it's so, it makes you actually feel quite overwhelmed. And you know that they're looking up to you as well, even though they may not say it, but you'll see your child doing something and you'll experience this. Um, this is your first child, right? Yeah, yeah. So you'll, ex- you'll experience seeing your child doing something that you do all the time in the <gasps> same way that oh you will find God. yourself saying things to your child and you think, my mum used to tell me that. <gasps> that's so weird yeah I, I mean it's inevitable isn't it that you just yeah. pass on traits and obviously it's genetic so you're going to pass on some things to your kid and you're going to yeah you're going to like align that with you know whatever you learned from your parents yeah. and then it's just it comes full on. circle yeah, yeah it just comes full circle so it's actually funny to kind of witness it yeah um and I guess so I think that that's probably the hardest thing is mm. being able to be that decision maker on the spot in an instant and trying to please as well at the same time, but yeah. being a disciplinarian yeah. also. So that's hard. <laughs> that is um, a hard balance. Yeah. What's lovely is just the unconditional love. As I mentioned, you know, you can tell them off, you know, they'll come and hug you in a heartbeat. They're having a great day. They'll come and tell you all about it if you're <laughs> lucky. It gets worse. They get more quiet as they get older. That's but what I've heard. Yeah. But just sharing the space with somebody that's always excited. My daughter's very excitable. She's always on the move. She's, if she's not doing a cartwheel, she's singing. If she's not doing that, she's drawing. So it's just, and I just think, where do you get this energy from? So for me, I just watch her with admiration. Hmm. And I guess advice to any parent out there, don't worry. Just don't, don't worry. worry. Take it day by day, one day at a time, literally, because you'll have, you'll have thoughts now as a, as a pregnant woman of how you want your child to be and how the routine hmm. is going to look. Be prepared, prepared. You know, like when somebody pulls the rug from underneath you. Prepa- be, prepared be, for that. be prepared for that. And just hope for a safe and soft landing. Expect the unexpected. Yeah, just don't take it all too seriously. Like, obviously, the, keeping them alive is key. Um, <laughs> but, you know, there are going to be days when you're not feeling up to it. And there are days that you're a bit tired. And, yeah. you know, a day where maybe the house is a bit of a mess. Like, this, lev- this driving for perfection that people place upon women. Mm, the pressure, yeah. Oh, yeah. get over yourselves. Like, you know, we've got one life to live. And as long as your child is happy and nurtured and loved. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You're doing a great job. That's fantastic. That's awesome. That's very reassuring. Um, thank you. Thank you for that, Alison. No worries. <laughs> um, oh, God, I don't even know where to begin. I mean, yeah, to echo Alison, really, I think the hardest thing is getting it wrong. Um, and you will forget the PE kit. You will be like, turn up and it's inset day and the the doors are locked and there's no school on that day or it's own clothes day and they're supposed to be in own clothes and they're in school uniform. Like you'll have money fails (laughs) nonstop. Um, And that is hard, especially when you're like, I hate being wrong. (laughs) 
I'm like wrong and strong. And so, you know, when, <laughs> when those things come up, you're just like, oh man, I was doing such a good job. Especially when you're having like a good week and you're thinking you're nailing this thing called motherhood and then something will just humble you really quickly. You're like, oh yeah, okay. I, I completely missed that. So I think that's one of the hardest things and just trying to, to, to navigate it all. And the, the school WhatsApp, the nursery WhatsApp, oh my goodness. It, if you thought business was hard, you need a degree to navigate those WhatsApp groups and to make sure that you are on top of those emails and everything that comes through. There's so much literature when it comes to school, education, nursery that you have to figure out. I'm not, I, I always wonder how people do it. And I've, I find that I'm a capable person and I struggle so hard with mm-hmm. all that kind of stuff. So that's the, that's the, the, the downside of um, motherhood. I think the great thing is that you're leaving a piece of you. You know, no one's here forever. And so when, you, when we do leave this earth, you know, you're leaving a bit of a legacy. You're leaving yeah. a bit of, of a footprint behind. Yes. And I and I love that. I, I think of my grandparents and their parents and my my ancestors and the footprint that they left and why I'm here. Mm. And so, you know, who knows what my children are going to be in the future? You know, they might they might do something that changes the world or they might do something that just changes one person's mind. I don't really mind, but they'll be here and they'll make an impact, whatever mm. it is. Mm. So that's the thing. And my only advice, and I'll don't direct this to you if you are gonna have a um have a a birth <laughs> that is um is pain-free take the drugs is what I say and yes the, I have the heard only, that from yeah take every drug that they're gonna give you and the one the best piece of advice that my midwife gave me is chin on chest and push down and that was that was because for ages for about half an hour I was pushing what I thought was pushing but because my chin was up and I was kind of like screaming into the ceiling <laughs> nothing was happening and because that's because all my energy was yeah. going up to the gods yeah yeah it needs to be going down and so she was like Natalie chin on chest and push down and as soon as I did that baby came out and I was like oh thank god so yeah <laughs> that's that's the, the that best is a really advice <laughs> that is a fantastic pr- practical tip and as I'm getting closer I'm like thinking about you know the whole birthing process and how that's going to look and I'm under no illusions about how how crazy it's going to be but people try and reassure me and say you know it's, it's actually a very nice it's a lovely experience like it's something you'll find your zone you'll just yeah. find it you'll just yeah. you'll yeah. find yeah. your moment you'll find your rhythm and you just go with it just know that you can't plan these things so just you know remember that saying when you make plans god laughs because it's exactly that you imagine oh my gosh i'm so glad you said i'm so (laughs) glad you said that nat because i remember in the run-up to um uh labor every morning i woke up and i did my hair and my hair was really short at the time so you know you had to be on you had to be on fleek as they say (laughs) and the day i went into labor i looked like friggin scarecrow (laughs) <laughs> I literally day, I, when you didn't, yeah. yeah it was the first it was the furthest thing from my mind that's the thing like the baby takes over yeah so yeah any careful planning that you have be adaptable with it be flexible ready to change plans and yeah. just don't get upset over you know if, if things don't go the way I thought they would they're yeah. not going to go the way you think they are and that's just life so just <laughs> no exactly that's just life just, <laughs> and that's parenthood life. as well and, and that is parenthood <laughs> yeah. once you think you've nailed it they'll humble you and you're like oh okay so you're not going to sleep for the night now great and that that's continuous our children are I've got an eight-year-old and 11-year-old and every day I think I've nailed something and they'll just quickly humble me and be like no you didn't get that right it's like okay great back to square one 
I mean, there's nothing wrong with that. It's, you know, they, they teach you new things all the time and they, they test your patience and your ability to, to be compassionate. And that that's, you know, not necessarily a bad thing if you, you know, it just, it humbles you, as you, as you said, as you both said. So, um, yeah, looking forward to the, the trials and tribulations of motherhood, definitely. <laughs> and it's been an absolute pleasure to, to have you both on here. It's been so nice to hear, you know, your motivations, your aspirations, the work that you've put into March Muses, you know, your backgrounds, the fact that you're friends and you've known each other for so long. It's such a nice personal touch. Um, knowing more about your families as well uh, and you know, your ability to sort of, simultaneously manage you know your business your working life um as well as you know being parents so thank you so Aww, much for being thank you here for having sparing us. Your time yeah thank you thank you so much it's been a pleasure to speak with you and all the best with your delivery and being a mum oh thank you thank you so much thank you for listening to this episode if you know someone who you think might like this episode please do let them know If you enjoyed listening to this podcast, please do leave us a review on Apple Podcasts. Make sure you hit the subscribe button and you'll be notified as soon as a new episode goes live. Producing and hosting this podcast is done by me on an entirely voluntary basis. So if you enjoy listening, please consider supporting it through Patreon so that it can continue to provide you with engaging and meaningful content. If you would like to donate, you can do so by heading over to patreon.com slash browndon'tfrownpod. If you have any thoughts or comments or would like to get in touch and contribute to the podcast, please do drop us a line at browndon'tfrownpod at gmail.com. We hope you enjoyed listening.